Today we are wrapping up our Foundations series. It's the last message in our series. Next week we will begin walking through the New Testament book of Galatians. And so you will want to begin reading in Galatians chapter 1 and make preparation for our next, our next Lord's Day. Today, as we have really kind of thought about what is the gospel, uh, what is the church, we've talked about what is baptism, what is the Lord's Supper, uh, what is prayer, what is the Bible. Today we want to kind of just wrap all of that up together, addressing the question, what is gospel obedience? Right? What does a gospel-centered life look like? How do you flesh that out? Because if you listened when our text was read earlier today, Right? Paul speaks to the church at Galatia and says, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live. It is Christ that lives in me. And so the life that I now live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? It's a, it is a life-transforming gospel. So when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a life-altering gospel where somebody dies and somebody new is resurrected to life. We also heard Paul in Colossians 1 speak of walking in a manner worthy of of the Lord. So once the gospel alters our lives, how do we do that? How do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? How do we line up with who God is and what He desires for our life? Right? How do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? How do we leave behind an old way of life and just grow in gratefulness? Grow in joy. Grow in holiness. I mean, Paul said, I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. How does Christ live his life in us? So what we want to do for a few minutes today is really address the question, what does a gospel-centered life look like? Now, if you will look in your Welcome to the Family books, there is a small paragraph in this very last chapter that I think answers some of this for us. The gospel-centered life is a cross-centered life. And a cross-centered life is a Christ-centered life. So a gospel-centered person is a person who views every aspect of their life 
in light of the gospel. In other words, there's not a single solitary moment or experience or event in your life that is not led by, focused upon, directed by, altered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our devotion and love to Jesus becomes primary and everything else is secondary. And so that's what we want to look at today. Right? We're just going to answer a couple of questions. What is the gospel-centered life? And Joe Thorne gives us a beautiful picture of a gospel-centered life. And then we're just going to ask the question, how do we flesh that out? on a day-by-day basis. So let's pray together. Father, we are indeed so very thankful for the gospel. And it is our prayer today that the finished work of Christ will alter our existence, our way of thinking, our way of living, our way of loving, our way of serving. And so, Lord, may we see how the gospel is primary and how it should direct every aspect of who and what we are. And so we pray today, Father, that the word of God would speak into our lives And that the Spirit would be our teacher. And that, Father, your glory would reign supreme in this place. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we address the question, what is the gospel-centered life? Joe Thorne, a few years ago, wrote an exceptional article. You can find it in um, the Gospel Coalition website. It is an exceptional article about the fruits of a gospel-centered life. And so he talks about how the fruit of a gospel-centered life ought to be evident in every Christ follower. So what does that fruit look like? He talks about gospel confidence. Gospel confidence. Right? It's the Apostle Paul declaring in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So there is a confidence that we have in our salvation. I know that I am saved. I know that I am headed for heaven. It is confidence in prayer, right? It's, it's John writing in 1 John five fourteen. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So it's confidence in prayer. It's confidence in just daily living, right? Doing all things through him who strengthens me. It is even confidence in the midst of pain and suffering, right? It is the Apostle Paul saying in Romans 8, and we know that God works together for good, all things, to those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. So there is a gospel confidence that should be present in us. Secondly, there is a gospel intimacy that should be present in us. Right? And this is what we talked about last week. 
as we draw near to God, He draws near to us. There is an intimacy that we share with our Heavenly Father. There is a gospel transformation. One of the things I love about baptism is that when we see men and women, boys and girls, wearing their God has made me new t-shirts, right? Every person who is baptized receives a blue t-shirt that just says God has made me new and it's based on 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. There is a transformation and that's what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So God has a plan and pattern of holiness that is designed for you and me to flesh out. So there's gospel confidence, gospel intimacy, gospel transformation. And then also, uh, Joel Thorne talks about gospel community. Gospel community. Right? How one of the great fruits of the gospel is that we have a family of believers. There is a community that we share together where we need each other, where we encourage each other, where we strengthen each other, where we build one another up and how this community is so very vital. And can I just say to you dear ones, if you're here this morning and you're not plugged in to a true gospel community, my, 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 what you are missing out on. God did not save you and alter you to leave you by yourself. He designed you and built you to be in a biblical community of faith where you can serve with one another and encourage one another and love one another and serve and grow and mature in your faith. You have to be a part of a Faith community, if you're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So let's get to the second question this morning. How do we live a gospel-centered life? Now, this is going to sound very basic to you. And it should be very basic. And the reason is because life's most important truth is often the easiest to forget. Right? The most important things are often the things we forget, that we take for granted, and we overlook. And so we're going to look at some key essentials of a gospel-centered life. I hope you'll write them down. I hope you'll talk about them in your small groups later. And I hope you'll review them on a regular basis. Right? So step number one, focus on the cross of Jesus. Focus on the cross of Jesus. That's what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins. Paul says this is of first importance. Paul is pointing us to this one truth that should alter our lives. One truth 
that should motivate every single thing that we do. One truth, one central message that should affect every part of who we are. And here it is. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Paul says this is the main thing. Paul says nothing else is of greater importance than this, that God sent his son into the world to go on a cross and bear his wrath for sinners like you and me. First importance. So if there's anything in this life that we should be passionate about, It should be the gospel. Jerry Bridges, who is with the Lord now, one of my favorite authors, he wrote for Navigators for, for years. I remember I, I read, uh, he, he has written a lot on holiness. And I remember one time um, I heard that he was speaking at a conference. And I drove a pretty good ways to hear him because his books are just exceptional. And um, I don't mind sharing with you because he's in heaven now and he can't refute it. Um, but he's probably the worst public speaker I've ever heard. Um, if you think you have difficulty staying awake when I preach, you should have heard Jerry Bridges. But oh, how his life was so full of the gospel. Oh, how his words on paper could be like you're listening to heaven itself. Here's what he says. The gospel is not only the most important message in all of history. It is the only essential message in all of history. Yet, there are thousands of profess professing Christians who live their lives without experiencing the joy of sharing it with others. In other words, he says, right, if you claim to know the gospel and yet you never share the gospel, it is possible that your claim is invalid. I think that's an incredible truth to just set on our minds and hearts for a few moments. This year, as Southern Baptist, there is a major focus on getting every person, every Christ follower, to just prayerfully seek out one person that they want to impact with the gospel. It's called, Who's Your One? Take a look at this uh, short video this morning. Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. 
We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? Let me ask you a question this morning. Is it true that heaven rejoices when one person comes to faith in Christ? Is, is that true? You're going to have to talk back to me this morning. All right, pretend that you're my wife or my children or, you know. Is it true that all of heaven rejoices when one person comes to faith in Christ? Do you believe that's true? Are you going to commit your life today in 2019 to share the gospel with one person? To impact one person, just one. We're not asking you to reach the entire city. One single person. Matter of fact, in your mind right now, think of somebody you know that is far from God. Think of somebody you know right now that is distant when it comes to their relationship with God. Could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, a parent. And no matter who it is, believe that God can use you to reach them. You may be the catalyst that God uses to change their life. Who's your one? We're going to be reminding you of that every week as we gather together. Focus on the cross of Christ. We're going to move on. Secondly, saturate your mind with the word of God. Saturate your mind with the word of God. Psalm 19 is an incredible passage. These verses that you see before you. All the words, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the fear, the rules, these are all synonyms for Scripture. And one of the things you notice then that Psalm 19 is saying is that the Scripture is of the Lord. You see that? The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. The scripture is the word of God. And because it's the word of God, look at the characteristics of it. You're going to see words like perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, clear, true. Right? That's what God's word can mean to you. And of course the benefits... Why get into the Word of God? Why live in the pages of Scripture? Well, look at the benefits. What do these verses say? It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It is altogether righteous. In other words, the Word of God, dear ones, is a well of resource for you. The word of the living God is a wealth 
of spiritual resource, if you will, but live in the pages of sacred scripture. And you want to know why week after week after week after week for almost 13 years now we have just gone to this book every single Sunday. This is why. Because it's God's word. And it takes a bunch of simple-minded people and makes them wise. And it gives light to the eyes. It revives the soul. Saturate your mind with the word of God. Third, develop and expand your prayer life. If you were not here last Sunday, I would encourage you to go online and listen to last week's service. And we talked about prayer as just talking to God. Number four, live each day in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live each day in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Christianity is hopeless without the Spirit of God. It's hopeless. Only the Holy Spirit can make the things of Christ real and alive to people. It's the Holy Spirit of God that causes us to turn from our sin. It's the Holy Spirit of God that causes us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Let me ask you a question. When God looks down on the earth, does he see ethnicity? When God looks down on the earth, does he see religious denomination? Right? When God looks down on the earth, is God looking for Southern Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and so on and so forth. Listen, when God looks down on the earth, God sees two kinds of people. That's it. That's it. Two kinds of people. Those who have the Holy Spirit of God and those who do not. And that's all he sees. There is a power present in God's people. And because there is a power present in God's people, there is a person that God's people proclaim. And his name is Jesus and his beautiful gospel. His glorious gospel. Number five, spend your time pursuing kingdom purposes. There's a reason why Jesus said to a group of people in the Sermon on the Mount who were worried about what they were going to eat or what they were going to wear or where they were going to live or all of those kinds of things, how they were going to pay their bills. And there's a reason why Jesus looked at a crowd of people struggling with all of the stuff of this life. And he said to them, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. 
And finally, number six, live contently and give generously in order to reach more missionally. Right? There is a mission that God has given to us. And that mission is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul said to be witnesses and proclaim the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And in order for us to accomplish that, we've got to be able to live contently with what we have. And we've got to be able to give as much as we can. Because our desire is to see the gospel impact the world. Now, I want to close today with this. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Here is the apostle Paul speaking to us about our future resurrection. And before he addresses our future resurrection, he addresses the cause of our future resurrection. And the cause is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. Right, so you can go back through 1 Corinthians and you can listen to the Apostle Paul lay out the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. He says it's the gospel that you've received. It's the gospel on which you have taken your stand. It is the gospel that you are saved. And then there is that little if clause. You see that? If you hold Firmly to the word that I preach to you. Is the Apostle Paul suggesting that there are some in the church at Corinth that are not believers? I think that's exactly what he's suggesting. In fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians and go over to the very last chapter, chapter 13... Notice verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? How can that be? How is that possible? How is it possible that somebody doesn't know that Jesus lives within them? It is a great thing to celebrate 
the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It is also a very important thing that we examine our hearts to make sure that we believe, that we have received, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is present in our daily lives. Dear ones, if you look at your life, not your Sunday morning life, but your Monday through Saturday life. If you look at your Monday through Saturday life, the way you relate to your family, the way you relate to your coworkers, the way you do your jobs, the way you live among your neighbors, if you look at your daily life and you do not see evidence of the gospel, heed the words of Paul. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. So I just want to ask you today, have you believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who died for you? And if you believe it, have you received it? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you have received it, Are you living it out day by day, a gospel-centered life?